the Gospel of Matthew 16, starting at verse 13, God's Word, inerrant, inspired, infallible. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, say, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, in our time this morning, grant us the knowledge, Lord, of your divine word. God, I pray that you would fill us with an understanding of your holy gospel. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that our eyes are open, that our hearts are teachable and moldable, Lord, and that, God, through your word, you will show us this morning how to apply your word. And, God, that we can fulfill and follow you, Lord, as we leave here in the ways that you called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. My friends, during our lives, um, there, are, there are many important questions that have to be answered. Some of those questions are fun and adventuresome questions that the consequence of the answer has no true enduring value. But there are many other questions that we have to answer in our lives that do come with consequences, long-term consequences, consequences that not only outline what our life will look like, but what our eternity will look like. For some of you, some of those big decisions of life are now in the rearview mirror. Many of you are old enough now where you've, you've made some of the important decisions and yet there are still some big ones that lie ahead for you. There are others of you that, that some of those decisions are right in front of you right now, or you're still walking up on them. But I think it is safe to say a couple of things. Number one is no matter how far we are in life, there are still some big decisions that we are going to have to make. And those decisions can certainly change over the course of history. Certainly the big decisions that people had to make in the 1800s or the 1900s maybe are, are different in some ways than the big decisions that we have to make now. And certainly some of those big decisions that we, that we make might, might change from culture to culture. And yet there are some decisions, there are some foundational decisions, some questions that we have to answer that are timeless, that do not know any geographic location, and each of us will face. Now, sometimes we kick those decisions down the road. We, we push them aside, and we decide that we will deal with them later. Uh, and yet they stand there, and, and they wait for us. Questions that we have to answer. What are some of those big questions that we have to answer? We have to answer questions like, who will I marry? We have to answer big questions like, what will I do for a career? Where will I live? How will I educate my children? And what community will I buy my home? Will I take up golf or choose a real sport? <laughs> Is it time to change careers now or later? Do I dye my hair or just let the rest of it fall out? Jason Blair. Where will I retire? Big decisions we have to make. Life is full of questions. Life is full of these decisions. No matter how old we get, we get them more and more. They're in front of us. But the one question that all of us are going to have to answer, everybody has to answer, is the same question that was posed 
to the disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Beautiful location. I find it interesting that, that Jesus would have chosen this location to ask this question of his disciples. It was a beautiful spot, was then, is now. But his history was very spiritually dark. Caesarea Philippi had been a, had been a place of idol worship. It, 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 it continued to be that way at the time that Jesus was speaking to the disciples. It's still this very pluralistic kind of place where just kind of believe what you want to believe. And there's all these different gods that are running around where Jesus is going to look at his disciples and he's going to ask the most pointed questions. This is what he's going to ask. Who do you say that I am? And it's a question that you have to answer too. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, some people might say, what difference does it make? Why do I have to answer that question? And I will tell you why. This is it. Because if you read the Gospels, if you study the Bible, you're going to discover that Jesus makes some remarkable claims. Jesus makes remarkable claims about who he is. Jesus makes remarkable claims about your eternal future. Jesus makes remarkable claims about your sin condition and mine. And we have to consider the question that Jesus asked because really if you were just to step objectively and just look at world history, you're looking at a Messiah who came after, after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy promise who actually really in the big picture only ministered for about three years in a very isolated part of the world and yet changed the course of world history. And Jesus makes some claims that we have to consider and Jesus poses the question, who do you say that I am? C.S. Lewis, the great author and thinker, summed up the tension of this question well when he wrote, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him just being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. So who do you say that Jesus is? As we're going to be diving through different places in the Gospels, and going through different places around the scripture and taking a look at Jesus Christ and all the different things, all the different aspects, all the different layers of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, and if you're here this morning and you've been a believer that's following Jesus and you, you, you love this Jesus we're talking about, my prayer is over these next weeks that this is going to affirm your faith, that is going to grow you in the faith, that you're going to find new places in the scripture, and that you're going to continue to be fulfilled and nourished in the word, not only for you, but you can share with others. But it is possible that in this church, there are those who, who once walked with the Lord and at some point decide to do their own thing, walk their own direction. It's my prayer over these next weeks that, that maybe what we study will, will bring you back again to walk closely with the Lord. And it's probably safe to say there's somebody here who has not answered this question. Who do you say that I am? And it's my heartfelt prayer that you'll walk with me these next weeks as we open the Gospels. Oh, you don't want the preacher's words. What, what does Jesus say about who he is? 
And that's what we're going to be studying. And I've broken it up into different categories. And so, so over these weeks, by just way of introduction, we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus, the one who prays. Jesus, the disciple maker. Jesus, friend and comforter. Jesus, the great teacher. Jesus, the one who forgives. Jesus, the overcomer of temptation. Jesus, the provider. Jesus, the lamb of God. Jesus, the risen savior. Jesus, the sender. Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. That's where we're going to be headed these next weeks. And so I pray that you'll grab your Bible and you'll come along with us for the journey as we dive in, we move through the gospels and, and do these different things. And today, though, in the time that we have, I, I want to introduce you to the first one, Jesus, the, the compassionate. It's really a remarkable thing if you think about it, that the Bible teaches us so clearly that Jesus is compassionate. I mean, just try this on for a size. Jesus Christ, who stepped from heaven to earth, right? Jesus Christ, who's, who's fully God, yet fully man. Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus Christ, who Colossians says is a sustainer of all things. Jesus Christ, all-knowing, all-powerful. This Jesus Christ, with no obligation to us whatsoever, is Jesus the compassionate Oh, his compassion. Have you thought about his compassion? Well, if not, maybe it's just been words to you. That's how we're going to finish our time together. So I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ, the compassionate. And I go a lot of different places in the scripture for this, but let me take you to one of my favorites, Matthew chapter 9. This has been one of my favorite passages for, for many, many years for a lot of reasons, and, and I just want to share it with you. Matthew chapter 9, I'll start at verse 35. Love it if you follow along with me, but if not, I'll put it right here on the screen. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. But when he saw the crowds, he, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If you can just turn the video camera of your mind on for a moment, and Matthew chapter 9, what's called the public ministry of the Lord Jesus. So he's out, he's out teaching and, and healing and spending time with his disciples and spending time with other people. Very public ministry, but there's this point where Jesus just comes to his Matthew 9, shows us, and he's just kind of serving humanity humanity and he and he says these people are lost like sheep without a shepherd do you know anybody like that do we not live in a culture now more than ever that we can watch the news or look around look around our community and say oh lord these people are like like sheep without a shepherd but oh, Jesus, compassion. So the Bible says that Jesus has compassion. But what does that mean? It's so easy to say that. So let's kind of break it down. What does it mean that Jesus has compassion? I want to show you. I want to show you one of them. Jesus has compassion for the sinner. Would you just get that? This is crazy if you think about it. How can Jesus have compassion for the sinner? May I remind you that, that your sin and my sin is an offense against the holy God. May I remind you that our sin is a declaration of war against the sovereign. Do we get that, right? That we were in our sin, we are apart from God, and yet the Bible teaches that, that Jesus has compassion for the sinner. And we see all through the scripture, I'm not going to take you to every verse, I'll just share some of them with you, maybe you'll find it in your own quiet time, but, but just a, a case study A, do you, do you remember Jesus who, who, who interacts with a Samaritan woman who came out to get some water? 
Remember, Jesus wanted some water. John chapter 4, if you want to read it for yourself later, and, and Jesus looks at the woman and says, hey, would you give me some water? And that was just shocking to her for a couple of reasons. Number one, in that culture, Jews did not speak to Samaritans. They didn't get along. And there's a lot of reasons historically for that. We won't chase that down now. But Jews don't speak to Samaritans. And especially sophisticated Jews like Jesus, who was already getting a reputation as being a rabbi and a teacher, speaking to a woman, a Samaritan woman, that would have been unheard of. But it doesn't take Jesus long before he confronts her with her sin. You, you do know that our God knows what's going on in your life this morning, right? And we see it in John chapter four. When he reminds her, oh, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with ain't your husband. Now, I don't know what happened to those five husbands. The Bible didn't say, and I don't want to know. But she's not in a good place But by the time the compassion of Jesus is done with her, the woman with the checkered pass is community evangelist telling everybody what Jesus had done. Jesus has that kind of compassion. You remember later in the scripture where we we find over later John chapter 8, the the end of 7, beginning of 8, Jesus finds this adulterous woman. They're about to stone her. In those days, you don't commit adultery, and they're about to to kill her. They're about to stone her. Jesus interrupts the scene. They're trying to trap him, whole different story. But in the end, what happens? Jesus looks at her, and he says, you are no longer condemned. Go and sin no more. The woman who by that law should have died right then, Jesus has compassion for the sinner. Do you remember Zacchaeus over in the gospel of Luke? Remember Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector in the Bible? says that he was rich. Well, back in those days, the tax collectors kind of kept some for themselves. We know exactly that's what Zacchaeus did, but we do know this, is that the Bible says that Jesus received Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the sinner, he received him joyfully, joyfully. His buddies and disciples, they were grumbling. He received him joyfully, and by the end of the night, after being with the compassion of Jesus Christ, this is the same sinner who said, I want to give back everything that I took times four. Do you know this morning that the compassion of Jesus reaches the sinner? Now, this is important, though. Don't, don't, because here's what's going to happen. I want to make very sure we know this, because there may be somebody here right now, and you're like, you're like this deep in sin, and you're like, whew, I'm so glad I'm good. No, you're not. No, you'd be surprised. (laughs) Go to some other churches. (laughs) Okay. Can I remind you of something? The compassion of Jesus never affirms people's sin. The compassion of Jesus did not excuse people's sin. The compassion of Jesus did not overlook people's sin. The compassion of Jesus does not say, you are okay, live however you want. That is not what the compassion of Jesus does to the sinner. What the compassion of Jesus does is it shows compassion and love to the sinner while they're in their sin, drawing that person to himself. Do you get that? So as you experience the compassion and the love of Christ, you begin to say, I don't want that life anymore. I want to turn and I want to walk the other way. That's the compassion that Jesus has for the sinner. But I must go on. We'll run out of time. I want you to see that Jesus has compassion for the hurting, for the hurting. This is so touching. I mean, just do this drill sometimes. Just go through the gospel and start circling or outlining or taking notes at all the times that you see Jesus express compassion to the hurting. It's unbelievable. It's a remarkable thing to see. And we see it all through the scripture. Do you remember a man named Jairus, right? 
And the Bible says that he was ruler of the synagogue. Now, as a side note, just by way of just some biblical education, ruler of the synagogue sounds like a high position. Actually, it really wasn't. A ruler of the synagogue basically was in charge of the furniture and the settings at the synagogue, right? They made sure the tables were right and the chairs were right and everything was ready for service. Still a very important person. But you have to understand that the people he's working for, the Pharisees, they were no friend of Jesus. But he had an issue. His daughter was gravely ill, and she was dying. And this Jesus, who the Pharisees were kicking to the curb, Jairus went running to Jesus. You do know, don't you, when you're hurt, people run to Jesus, right? And he ran to Jesus. And Jesus tried to deal with him, and all of a sudden, the Bible teaches us that something else is going on. You can read it for yourself, but he realizes this woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, she just wants to get close to Jesus. She just wants to touch him and hope that it will help her, and Jesus knows this. And when Jesus faces her, the Bible says that she fell down, and that she was scared, and she was trembling. And yet the compassion of Jesus, which reached the hurting, says your faith has made you well. And he goes and he heals Jairus' daughter as well. It's a remarkable thing, but I want you to understand something, that Jesus has compassion for the hurting. And this may not be anybody here. In fact, I hope it's not anybody here, but it might be. You know, some people come to church on Sunday mornings and they're hurting. Some people come to church on Sunday morning and they're carrying a great burden. And yes, they're smiling and they're shaking hands and they're singing and they're drinking the coffee, but down deep inside they're hurting. Listen to me, church. If that is you this morning, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, his compassion reaches the hurting. There's no hurt you have this morning that you cannot give the Lord. There is no hurt that is too heavy. There is no burden that is too big. There is no loss that is too great. There is no chasm in your heart this morning that is too wide that the compassion of Jesus cannot work in your life. And it's an amazing thing, and I want you to know that. Here's your reality. Sometimes life kicks you in the shins. Sometimes life punches you in the stomach. Sometimes unfair things happen. Sometimes people are mean to you. Sometimes we experience loss that we never expected. But the compassion of Jesus finds its way into those spaces. As we consider who Jesus is and compassion for the sinner, compassion for the hurting, I want you to also see he has compassion for the outcast. You know, there's some things that we read in the Bible, we just kind of read over them, and there's some things we just throw around the church and it's like church language, but, but I want you to peel away how amazing it is that he has compassion for the outcast. Take, for example, lepers. Jesus hung out with lepers, and we say, oh, Jesus and the lepers, right? Do you know how crazy that is? Lepers were this completely marginal group that were the outcasts from society. They were continue, considered unclean by the religious people at the time. You do understand that in that culture, if Caleb had leprosy, if Caleb had some physical problem, if Caleb had something going on, the question for Caleb would be, Caleb, what was your sin? And when he said it's not, I'd say, okay, well, then what was your parents' sin? Which, I mean, Amy, obviously, we can, you know, it makes (laughs) sense, right? It's a joke. It's a joke. But that's what happens to the lepers who are unclean, have to live together Outside, the, out, outside of everybody else, with the only thing they get is the benevolence of a passerby. Yet these are the people that Jesus spent his time with. Do you get that? Mark chapter one, the leper comes running to Jesus. If you can, you can make me clean. I think it's one of the saddest stories in the scripture in Luke chapter eight, 
where there's a demon-possessed man, a demon-possessed man, and he's so mad, he's so crazy, he can't even live in a house, so he lives in a graveyard. Who wants to live in a graveyard? It's like a Scooby-Doo movie. Like, what is that? He can't keep his clothes on. They try to chain him, and they can't. But for Jesus, that's not a, that's not a carnival attraction to go to and pay a quarter to watch from a distance. It's just something to fear to run away from. For Jesus, it was the compassion that went to him. Now, I think when we read the scripture, we think, well, I don't have leprosy, and I, I don't think I'm demon-possessed. Well, there are some of you who are an outcast. There are some of you who know what it feels like to be marginalized, to be picked on, to be kicked out of a family system to feel weird, to feel different. But the compassion of Jesus reaches the outcast. When nobody else is paying attention, Jesus stepped into that space. His compassion reaches the center, and his compassion reaches the hurting. His compassion reaches the outcast, and his compassion reaches the ready, stressed out. <laughs> Now, I need to confess to you, I imported the language, okay? The Bible never uses the term stressed out. But has anybody here ever been stressed out? Yes, all right. So we're there, right? And I don't know, you know, in, in the scripture, certainly when, when the disciples are in the boat, we don't see the term stressed out. But, but I'll certainly tell you this, they were. Remember, there was a storm that came. That boat was rocking. May I remind you, they were fishermen. So if they thought they were going to die, they were really rocking. And they're waking up, Jesus, save us, save us from this, save us. Jesus like, where's your faith? But, but, yet, but yet he does it, right? Master of the elements, different sermon. But, but here he goes. His compassion says, guys, I've got this thing. See, so you realize, don't you, that the compassion of Jesus, when you take your fear and you take your stress and you take your anxiety to Jesus, Jesus is like, look, I've got this. I've got this handled. I, I'm here. I believe one of the greatest compassion scriptures, all the Bible never uses the word compassion, but in John chapter 14, remember what Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, the compassion of Jesus reaches out to the stressed out. And do you know what? There's a lot of people who are stressed out. We are a nation that is prescribing anxiety medicine at an all-time high. Uh, we are a nation that has to create places for people to calm themselves down. We are a stressed out people. But the compassion of Jesus, do you understand, steps into that space. He calms the fear. He calms the waves of life. He calms the hurt of life. He has compassion for that. And maybe crazy, I've got to get to this one. Crazy, crazy. He has compassion for the enemy. It started back in Matthew chapter five where Jesus says like the, the, the most backwards thing, love your enemies. And pray, now, no, not just love your enemy, but you gotta, you gotta take a step now. Pray for those who persecute you. That'd be Jesus later, if you remember, who's hanging on the cross, who, who, who looks down as his executors, and what does he say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. 
Do you know that Jesus has compassion for the enemy? What a remarkable thing that is, yet what a challenging thing that is, that even as we have lived enemies of the cross, even we have said the worst things about God, even we have thought the worst things, even when our behavior has said everything except that we love Jesus, Jesus still has compassion for us, even we behave like enemies. What a crazy thing that is. When I came to the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was an enemy of the cross. I didn't look like one. I didn't think I acted like one, but that was my spiritual condition because I was lost in my sin. And the compassion of Jesus loves the enemy. A couple things that God just kind of put on my heart this week I, I want to share with you with maybe some applications, if you don't mind, before we get ready to leave. Number one, as Christ's followers, we are called to model Christian compassion. If we are a Christian, that means that we are Christ-like. If Jesus was compassionate, that means that we also are called to compassion. But let's talk about a couple of things here. Uh, number one, let's break this out just, just a little bit. I made a couple of slides here for us. Um, compassion is not easy. Compassion is not easy. Compassion is not easy because we are fundamentally selfish. Our sin nature says that we are first. Our sin nature says that we are the most important people on the block. We're the most important people in the neighborhood. We're the most important person in the store. Showing compassion doesn't come naturally to us. So the first step towards showing compassion is to be able to confess that. And say, God, I know left to myself, I am not compassionate, but God, I pray that you will give me opportunities. I pray that you will change my heart. I pray that you will mold my mind, God, so I can be the compassion. Jesus, I can't do it exactly the way you did it, but God, give me an opportunity and let me try. But we have to also remember that compassion is not convenient. It's, 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 it's never convenient because we have to step out of our comfort zone. When you have to express compassion to somebody, compassion doesn't check your calendar. Compassion doesn't say, hey, can you fit me in? There are times that we have to express compassion and we have to do it right then and it is not convenient. Compassion is not a cause. Let me explain the difference. A cause is temporary. A cause is something that we come around to get something done and it's a complete end. Like co compassion is about pointing people to Jesus. In other words, compassion is not save the whales. That's a cause. No offense to the whales, okay? If, if you have a pet whale, that's fine. I mean, knock yourself out. Just don't mistake that for Christian compassion. That's a cause. You have all the causes you want. Christian compassion points people to Jesus Christ. That's what's different. It's not easy. It's not convenient. It's not a cause. It requires engagement. If you're going to exercise Christian compassion, you've got to get out of your house and get to work. Jeff and I were talking about it this week, and he said it well. He said, you know, you can't be a champion if you don't play the game. And he's exactly right. It, it requires engagement. Christians have got to stop pretending like they're not Christians. <laughs> Christians have got to stop hiding in their house. If we're going to grow this church, right, we can't just run to the grocery store as fast as possible, run back in, close the door, lock it, drop the shutters until Jesus returns. That's how compassion works. It's about engagement. 
It's about engagement. A beautiful sermon illustration. First service, one of our older attendees, Linda Ambrose, who's an amazing woman, if you don't know her yet. She's standing around outside for a while. I kind of figured out why. I figured she wanted to give me a hug. Um, and she did, but that wasn't why she was waiting. And uh, I asked her what she was hanging out for, and, and she said, well, because I was at this thing in Brooksville, and I met this mom with three kids, and I invited her to church, I wanted to make sure I stood here and waited until she came. She's in her 70s. That's the engagement we're talking about. That's the compassion that points people to Jesus. But by the way, don't expect anything in return. Don't expect people to line up. Thank you for being compassionate. Here's a gift card. <laughs> Several years ago, I had a student group at Seattle um, Union Mission in Seattle, Washington. We were feeding homeless for a couple of days, uh, different afternoons. It was a rough setting. And I can remember there were hundreds of homeless people. These people did a great job there trying to minister to this community. And our kids were, you know, handing out plates and cleaning up after themselves. And my Brooksville kids looking like deer in the headlights, man. It was, it was a rough setting when we were out there. And we were there. And I remember most of the people were thankful. But some of the people were just so mean to the workers there. All this compassion they were showing. They were complaining about the food. Of course, that wasn't everybody that was there. But the point is this. When you show compassion, don't expect something in return. You do it because Christ has called you to do it. Finally, Jesus is still compassionate. <laughs> like it's not past tense. We don't look at the Bible and say Jesus had compassion. We say what? Jesus what? Has compassion. Why? Because it's what? Present. In other words, get this, this is what's so wild. We are holding an ancient book which is alive today. Do you get that? And the same compassion that Jesus Christ had in the pages that we read, the same compassion that Jesus had when he stepped from heaven to earth, the same compassion that he has had since eternity past is available today. Do you get that, church? So I don't know where your heart is this morning. I don't know where your hurt is this morning. I don't know if you're the outcast this morning. Maybe you're the center this morning. Maybe you're the enemy of the cross this morning. Or maybe you're the believer that just needs that motivation to get, get in the game. But I just want to remind you this morning that Jesus is compassionate. And that compassion extends even this morning.